Uh, The reading today is from Matthew 19, starting at verse 1 through to verse 12. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs, because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men. And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. This is the gospel of Christ. Uh, Thanks, Jess, for reading that out. I've just realised we're running late and we've run out of time. So, sorry about that. In a moment I'm going to pray. There's some strong words in the reading that we heard this morning and uh, I want you to bear in mind as we think on them, they're true words, they're uttered by the Lord Jesus, they're given for our good um, uh, and they come from the one who knows us and loves us best. We live in a world at the moment that's full of so much confusion over so much of life and they've got lots of advice, lots of encouragement, lots of um, things that they think are right We have the privilege as Christians of hearing from the one who's made us, who knows what we need, who loves us the most, and who in his kindness and grace gives us truth. But sometimes it's hard for us as we hear that truth, and uh, I'd be very surprised this morning if uh, there weren't uh, many of us who heard some of those words and felt the weight of them in particular. So why don't I pray? Would you join with me in prayer? And then we'll have a a little think uh, on this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are our creator. And not just our creator, but our heavenly father who knows us and loves us. Therefore, you know us best and you teach us your truth. Sometimes that truth is hard to hear, but it's given for our good. And Lord, as we spend some time now thinking on some of these really important things that Jesus said so many years ago, but things that are still so relevant for our lives today, I pray that you would give us the humility to hear you, to think about how it affects our lives to change if we need to change, to carry on if we need to carry on, to repent if we need to repent. Father, give us both the desire and the the strength to be able to do those things wherever it may be. And Lord, this morning I'm not going to be able to talk about everyone's particular circumstances and situations. Uh, There's too many options, too many of us and too many different things to keep in mind. I thank you that you by your spirit can counsel each one of us. Please do your work this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, if you uh, haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, you won't know, but we're back in Matthew's Gospel. We've been in Matthew's Gospel for a little while. Uh, we had a break. Now we're back into it, and we go through parts of, of the Bible bit by bit, and that's why we're in Matthew 19, verses 1 to 12 today. Uh, there are some, most of the time, I'm very supportive of this method of Bible teaching. Every now and then I wish we could change it, and we just pick and choose which bits we listen to, because every now and then you come across a passage like this one which can be particularly confronting. This morning, uh, I hope you heard as Jess read it out, we see Jesus speaking about marriage very strongly. We see Jesus teaching on divorce very strongly. We see Jesus sharing about singleness very strongly. And these topics affect you and I. I think I've covered in those three categories everyone who's here. I was going to say it's very apt that we're in this passage because we've got four engaged couples at the moment here at St. Stephen's. But everyone's single, divorced, or married. We're all in there somewhere. It's going to affect all of us. And some of us, in terms of our situations, find thinking on these things particularly hard. Some of us are in a loveless marriage and we can't see a way out. Some of us would love to be married, if only I could be. Some of us know only too well the pain and the difficulties that divorce can bring and the effect it can have on our lives and the lives of others. So today may be a difficult passage for some of us, and I'm particularly aware of that this morning. Uh, In fact, let me say something right off the top, which is true every week, but I never say it, uh, uh, but I'll say it today. This morning as I preach this passage, I want you to know I'm not thinking about any one person here. I'm not thinking about any particular couple or situation. I never do. To do that would be to abuse the pulpit, and I never, ever do that. But I want you to know I'm definitely not doing it today. I should change that. There is one person in one situation I always think of, and that's me. When I prepare a passage for Sunday, I sit under the word first and foremost. I'm challenged by it. I'm comforted by it. I'm encouraged by it or, or, or rebuked by it. Only then and then only do I look to share it with others. But I I just want you to to have that in mind as we look at this because Jesus is going to speak very strongly on marriage, divorce and singleness and because God's intention for marriage, divorce and singleness is so out of line nowadays with our society's view on these things, some of these things may sound quite confronting. And I want you to bear in mind that when Jesus was speaking here, he wasn't doing a pastoral care seminar on these topics. If you look at the, um, the, the context of it, Jesus is in a debate with some people that are trying to trip him up. I say that because that Jesus is still saying true things, things that were true then, true today. But if he was here with us this morning talking to Christians who want to learn, I'm sure there'd be a different kind of flavour to what he was saying. More pastoral care, more understanding, talking about forgiveness and assurance and those sorts of things. So keep that in mind. All of us today, too, will be hearing these things with our own backgrounds and histories uh, in in our mind. And that may mean you've got particular questions which I don't address or which aren't addressed by Jesus uh, in his words here. If you've got specific concerns or thoughts that are raised by today, please follow up with me. Uh, We can chat about it afterwards, find a a trusted Christian friend that you can talk about, uh, but, but don't suffer in silence, chat it through with someone. But this is a, we're only going to be skating over the surface at one level this morning. And 
because it affects each of us differently, it, it's, we can't go into all the di- different details. Well, let's get into the passage so that we can see what happens. In verse 1, we see that Jesus is on the move. He leaves Galilee, and Galilee has really been his home base for most of this gospel, and he starts a road trip that will ultimately end up with him being in Jerusalem and losing his life. We're told that the crowds were so taken by Jesus, they still continued to follow him, and he, in turn, continued to heal many of them. But in verse 3, we see that some of the religious leaders of the day, that's the group of people called the Pharisees there, some of them came with the express purpose of testing him. Now, testing him, that's the same word used by what the devil did with Jesus in the, in, the, in the wilderness. They're trying to muck him up. Now, get this in your mind. They're not trying to say, why are all these people following him? How is he doing these incredible healings? Let's learn from this wonderful teaching. They are out to show that this guy is a fraud. They don't like him. They don't support him. They want to ask him a question in front of all these crowds to make him look foolish to make him say something which will cause offence to other people or cause problems. But like um, paparazzi media often do with celebrities today where they, they see them walking along the street and ask them a question and they're just hoping, praying that they will say something stupid and they can press send and it goes viral and we can all look at them and laugh and mock. That's what these Pharisees wanted with Jesus. Well, what better topic to cause division than divorce? Now, that's always been the case. You talk about marriage and divorce at any period of human history, you're always going to get division because we see it differently, we have different ideas on it and those sorts of things. But it's a very particular cause of problem here. Earlier in Matthew's Gospel, someone else had got into big trouble over the issue of divorce. Who? John the Baptist. He had called out someone for divorce, said they shouldn't have done it and done the remarriage, and he had literally lost his head over it. And so you can imagine what the Pharisees are going, well, let's, and that was in this area. You can see what the Pharisees are doing. Well, let's try and get Jesus on the record on this topic. Maybe, we can, maybe he'll say something which will cause some difficulties. And so they ask Jesus in verse 3 this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? So that's the setup for everything that comes afterwards. And I'd like to look at the rest of the passage in three sections. I think it breaks up very neatly into three sections. Jesus is going to speak about marriage in verses 4 to 6. He's going to speak about divorce in verses 7 to 10. And then he's going to speak about singleness in verses 11 to 12. So firstly, marriage, verses 4 to 6. And the first thing I want you to notice here, and it's very important, is that although their question was totally about divorce, Jesus doesn't mention divorce in his answer. Not once. He only, purely, talks about marriage. That's a very important principle. So many people in our world and our culture at the moment, when they are thinking about their view on divorce, when they're thinking about what divorce is, they only think about divorce abstracted from everything else. And they only think about divorce based on their own experience or what they see other people do or on personal preference. Jesus says... You can only understand divorce when you put it into its context of marriage. And not just anyone's idea of marriage, God's purpose and idea of marriage. The one who created this thing. You can't understand divorce or really talk about divorce unless, you've got an, unless you understand marriage as God intended it. So look at his answer, verse 4. 
They say, um, uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? He says, verse 4, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made the male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. It's a great answer here. Don't talk to me about divorce. Think about what marriage is. Think about what its purpose is. He starts off his answer by saying, haven't you read? And then he quotes Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. It's very important. That's the words that he uses there. It's quite the dig that he's making. He's allowed to make a dig here because their question is so outrageous. But he's basically saying, um, haven't you read? Don't you remember page one and page two of this book that you guys are supposed to be experts in? What I'm about to tell you is ABC. What I'm about to remind you of is one, two, three. It's right at the beginning of this book that you should know about. And the Genesis quotes remind them of the truth and the intention of marriage according to God. Marriage is fundamental to the way he's created uh, us in this world. And some of it sounds odd today because we live in a world where marriage has been so devalued, where it's been, uh, in recent years, redefined, where it's treated with such little reverence and little respect. And so Jesus says, if you want to speak about divorce, you have to be reminded about what God wants in marriage. And Jesus says in these words that marriage is about a man and a woman and it involves leaving as well as cleaving, if you remember that old phrase, leaving and cleaving. Important, both those components. When a couple get married, the, the new relationship is so important, you leave behind aspects of your life from the past, even the most important human relationship that you have up until that point, the relationship with your parents. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother to be united. And then you cleave, you unite, you get glued together. And you see that that uniting, that gluing, that becoming together is the most significant thing he's highlighting in these verses. They've asked him about divorce, which is separation. He says, think about the opposite, which is the gluing together. Four times in these few verses, Jesus highlights the same thing. Verse 5, be united. Later on in verse 5, the two become one flesh. Verse 6, no longer two, but one. Then the last words that he says here are not a quote from Genesis anymore. This is Jesus speaking himself. This is his summary statement of everything that Genesis says. Verse 6, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Think about that again. What's his main point here? It's, don't miss it. Be united, two become one flesh, no longer two but one. What God has joined together, let man not separate. Time and time again, what Jesus is at pains to highlight here is that marriage is permanent. Marriage is lifelong. In his mind and in God's intention, marriage is about remaining, permanence, lasting the distance, until death. And notice, Jesus says, God is behind marriage. What God has joined together, let man not separate. Ever thought about your marriage in that way? Marriage is God's work. He joins two people together. Divorce is always a human endeavour. People talk about a marriage made in heaven. Don't know what that is yet, except now I think every marriage is a marriage made in heaven because what God has joined together, let man not separate. Now, if it struck you how 
significant and serious these words are that I'm saying about marriage and how different it is from the attitude we have to marriage today, you're quite right. Do you see how lightly we think of marriage comparatively today? How casually we think about marriage and treat it today? Today often we have, a, we have an attitude where, well, I'll give it a crack, see if it works. That is so different, so cavalier compared to how Jesus talks about God's intention for marriage. And that's seen in the way when we think about potential suitors for marriage, we talk about things of total irrelevance Height's a big factor for me. They must be taller. Really? That's the defining aspect. Or we think about looks. Or we think about money and career. Or we think about what age they are. They must be younger or they must be older. Or we think about how they must, we must feel a certain way when we look upon them. All those things will change over a lifetime. All of them. Even the height. I'm told we shrink as we get older. And yet they're the things that we put so much stock in as we're trying to think about who we will marry. Pick a person who loves Jesus. Pick a person who is trustworthy. Pick a person who is servant-hearted and humble because you're going to be spending your life with them. You don't know what life will throw at you over the years. Pick a person you'll be proud to stand alongside you and you know they'll be a support to you as you seek to support them going through it. God has joined you together. You'll be facing things together. Don't worry about their hair. Hairlines recede, don't they? And and you don't know what career they're going to have in five years or you don't know how you're going to feel when you look at them in seven years. All these things change. And do you notice the importance of the marriage relationship here? No other human relationship is described by God in this way. The two becoming one. No longer two, but one. You might think that parent-child relationship would be spoken of in this way because of the significance of it. You share... I was going to say you share DNA. Do you share DNA with children? I'm looking at Logan. He said yes. So... Well, genes, whatever, you share it with them. You name your children. They look like you at times and they act like you, and, but they're not the two becoming one. And in fact, in these verses, it's, it only talks about that relationship changing as they leave one to join the other. The marriage relationship is seen in this really important way. Jesus has asked about divorce He answers with marriage and he basically says, you people see this too small. You've reduced it too much. It is God joining two people together and it is for life. See it that way. That's Jesus on marriage. We'll keep thinking about these things, but that's him on marriage. Now, you can almost hear the glee in the Pharisees' voices as they have a follow-up question for Jesus in verse 7. And you can see them, they kind of pounce on it. Verse 7, well then why did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? We asked you about divorce, you've basically said there's no reason to divorce, but Moses commanded that we do it. You you can see what their, um, I hope you can see their point. They're trying to drive a wedge between Jesus and Moses. Are you arguing with Moses, our greatest prophet, the one that God met and spoke to at the burning bush and gave us the law? So, secondly, verse 7 to 10, Jesus then speaks about divorce. He corrects the Pharisees right away. They say Moses commanded someone to give a certificate of divorce. Jesus says, no, he didn't command. Verse 8, he permitted. 
He permitted. And have a look what he says. Verse 8, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. Now, do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying the purpose of marriage, the intention of marriage, doesn't include divorce. The way it was from the beginning was lifelong permanent. It's only, he says, because of the hardness of our hearts. It's only because of the fallenness of our character. It's only because of our sin that there's any provision for for divorce in the scriptures and in life. But then he goes one step further, and he says that there's only one allowance for divorce, and that is marital unfaithfulness. The, The word literally there in the Greek is porneia, which means sexual immorality. So it probably primarily means adultery, but it could mean uh, other sexual sin in different ways. Now, I want to mention straight away, because when we read the scriptures, we're never just reading one part of the scriptures, but looking at the whole, we know from 1 Corinthians 7, there is another allowance for divorce made. When a believer has an unbelieving husband or wife abandon them, that too is reason for divorce, according to Paul. Uh, But do you see the difference in terms of Jesus and Paul's teaching on divorce to the world's? They say there's two reasons, legitimate reasons. And if you haven't divorced over that, you've made a mistake. And there is sin as a consequence. This is so different from... Most of us today, if you're my age or younger, you won't remember a world when there wasn't no false divorce. But there used to be. Every country around the world, certainly in the West, used to, you used to have to prove why you were able to be divorced in a court of law. And there were only certain uh, criteria to allow you to have divorce in a court of law. Usually the three big A's. What are the three big A's? Adultery, abuse, abandonment. And you used to have to prove that in a court of law. Otherwise you couldn't get divorced. But then no-fault divorce, that's what they call it, has crept into most Western countries. Anyone know when it came in in New Zealand? 1980. It was 1980 exactly. And you can see the divorce rate literally double overnight. That's what happened. Because now you can just get divorced. Irreconcilable differences are the one. Do you see what Jesus is teaching here? Do you see what God's intention? It's so different. Now, these words can be hard because some people hear this and, well, I've been through a divorce and it wasn't that, and where does that place me? What does that mean? These are questions that we need to wrestle with as Christians. There's even a dispute in Christianity whether any remarriage can happen. Uh, There are some Christians who believe that there may be provision for divorce, but not necessarily remarriage. This has been the cause of difficult uh, discussions and thoughts for Christians down through the ages. Uh, My personal take is that divorce does allow remarriage. Uh, But there are Christians who think differently, and conscience on this issue is a really big deal. This is why divorce and remarriage has been such a tricky pastoral issue within Christian circles since the rise of no-fault divorce. Uh, if you'll just excuse me talking about myself for a moment, but this is a tricky one for me sometimes when I'm asked to marry a couple for two reasons. In fact, when a couple come and ask me whether I can marry them, uh, I don't say yes to marrying them. I say yes to taking them on for marriage prep. Actually, I haven't done that to you guys yet because it was a phone call. Let me tell you, uh, 
I only say yes to doing marriage prep because marriage is so important. Remember what Jesus has just said. You can't muck around with it. And remarriage of divorce is so significant, Jesus says, if you muck it up, you may be carrying on with adultery. So I I take time to get to know the couple. Now, there's some hard teaching there on it, but I hope you can see what God's saying. And he's saying it because divorce is devastating. The, the results of it never just affects the person. It affects, as Rena was talking about, families and communities coming together. Divorce does the opposite. It affects those families and, and communities. It causes deep pain and division. Now, it's, uh, I want you to hear the truth of it. This is true, so we've got to try and live it out. It's also hard teaching, and so we've also got to remember in this that we follow a saviour. Uh, we, have a, we, have, we follow one who is um, the one who's died for us, and divorce is not the unforgivable sin. There is forgiveness. But we need to be truthful and honouring to God about what he said in these kind of areas. So I'm going to come back again to this, but he's spoken about marriage. He's spoken about divorce. Thirdly, uh, lastly, he speaks about singleness. If you're sitting here thinking, oh, my goodness, Jesus, those words are hard, you're not the only one. At this point, we don't hear from the Pharisees anymore. Now the disciples come in, and the disciples are Jesus' followers. And they say in verse 10, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. So you can see they felt the weight of what Jesus is saying in terms of the significance of marriage and the provision for divorce. And Jesus doesn't deny that. He has raised the bar on the expectation of marriage and he's raised the bar on on what it is to be divorced. And the disciples say, well, who can live that out? And Jesus says, basically, not everyone. Not everyone can be married. And he talks about eunuchs. And that can seem odd to our ears because we don't use the word eunuchs a lot nowadays, but also it just seems odd even in the context. Eunuchs were men, there's no easy way to say this, but eunuchs were men whose sexual organs didn't work. And they were probably the largest contingent of people back then who weren't married because most people were married back then. And so what I think Jesus is doing here is he is using them as an example of single people. But I think he's speaking about all single people, not just eunuchs. He's using eunuchs as a a kind of illustration of singleness. And he says in verse 11 and 12, some people, because of the way they're born, are single. Some people, because of what's done to them, are single. And some renounce marriage for the kingdom of heaven. So he has these three categories of singleness. Do you see what he's saying there? Some people won't marry due to reasons that they're born with. It may be biological defects, it may be certain urges and inclinations that they have, but for whatever reason, they will not marry as God has intended. Uh, Marriage is not for them. Some people won't due to things done to them. I don't like thinking about this one uh, too much, but... uh, you can, you can understand what's being said. It may be certain medical procedures done either uh, with permission or without permission. It could be abuse. But for a range of reasons, some people shouldn't marry uh, in terms of God's intention because of things that have been done to them. Then there's a third group that Jesus says, who will not marry because of the kingdom of heaven. They renounce marriage in order to pursue the kingdom of heaven. And I think what Jesus is speaking of here is people who, like Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians 7, choose to remain single because they can do more serving the Lord single. Now, we sometimes see that and think automatically monks and nuns, but I don't think that's what's uh, being spoken of. 
Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, when he talks about this, says, I wish all people were like me, single, because I can do more for the Lord. Now, what does he mean there? He means if you're married, if you're parents, you've got extra responsibilities that you must fulfill and have a burden of care for that will stop you doing certain things for the kingdom. I thought about this when I, when I first came to St. Stephen's nearly 15 years ago. Uh, I was a much younger man. I was at a different stage of life. And I was trying to work... I'd seen things go wrong sometimes in ministry families. I'd seen ministers who were very good at being ministers, but sometimes their families had suffered as a result. And I was trying to work through in my head, what's my priority? Where, where, where should I be investing my time and those sorts of things? And I spoke to a couple of people. I did some reading about it. And this is where I ended up. I ended up thinking my first and most important uh, personal relationship is with the Lord. That's my first and most important personal relationship that I must invest my time and effort into. The second is, I'm a husband to Jamie. Jamie comes number two. Thirdly, I had three children that I cared about back then. Uh, Jesse, Molly and Laura. And, I, and they were my responsibility. Now, I only care about two of them now. One of them has been palmed off to someone else. Miriam, that's your responsibility. I still care about the other two. Then I was the minister of St. Stephen's. Do you see the difference that makes? There were some times and some things and occasions where I said no because before I was the minister at St. Stephen's able to do things for the kingdom, I was Jamie's husband or I was Molly's father or I was Laura's dad. I didn't give up anything for Jesse, but you, you can see how that works. And that, and that happens. And you can see down through the ages God has done incredible things through single Christians. Think of some of the mission partners who've gone on the mission field and without other responsibilities have been able to do wonderful things or God do it through them. Think of some of the great, um, even in recent years, some of the wonderful servants of God, someone like John Chapman in Australia or Vaughan Roberts in England. Think of John Stott and Dick Lucas. Think of the Apostle Paul. Think of Jesus. These people were single and because they were single, they worked powerfully for the kingdom of God. Jesus says here, marriage isn't for everyone. It's not for everyone. And he raises the bar. He's raised the bar on marriage. He's raised the bar on divorce. Here he raises the bar on singleness too. He says, if you are single, accept it. Three times he says accept, verse 11 and 12. And then he's basically saying, if you're single, use that gift from God. Don't see it as an intermediary state. Be intentional about it and use it for God's glory and the good of other people. So do you see, when you put all this together, Jesus is raising the bar on marriage, divorce, and singleness. He invests all three with more meaning and more value than we do today. Marriage more significant than our world treats it. Singleness more noble than our romantic relationship-worshipping world understands it. And divorce more serious than we think. So marriage, uh, divorce, and remarriage, and singleness. Before I finish, I've got to finish. Um, a few words of application to all of us in this area. One, whichever you're in, whether you're single, married, or divorced, pursue holiness. As I said before, God doesn't just give rules. He, he tells us what to do because he cares for us and he knows what's best. If we're mucking around in these areas, it will affect our souls and our lives. Pursue holiness. Know you've got a saviour. Know that you can go to him and cast your cares upon him, but don't keep making the same mistakes. Pursue holiness. I'd ask you and urge you, and I know this can be tricky, be content 
and don't think the grass is greener for people in the other state. The reality is singleness and marriage are both hard. They both bring with them pain and difficulty and suffering and struggle as well as joys and opportunities. There are some people who are stuck in a marriage which they feel is loveless and they can't see a way out and they think, I wish I was single. And there are some people that are single who spend their whole time wishing they were married and you forget the difficulties and the opportunities that both states have. Please be content and use both, whatever your circumstances, for God's glory and the good of others. I'd encourage all of us, because of the nature of marriage, because it's separated from other human relationships, I'd urge all of us to support marriage, even if we're not married. And I get it from the words that Jesus says, where he says, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And he doesn't say, don't let the couple should make every effort. He says, all human beings should make sure we don't separate, that we support marriage. Marriage is very hard in this day and age. And so, if you're the parents of children who've got married, let your children go. Let them leave and cleave. If you're not married, and we've got some young parents around us at the moment, we can, we can babysit for them. And that will give those couples time together, which will help them in their relationship. If, you, if you're single and you've got a friend who's getting married... Allow them to spend time at home without going, oh, come on, you've changed, you used to go out. Let them set up their new marriage relationship because it's so important. And people that are married or not married respect the marriage boundary. With someone from the opposite sex, be careful the time or attention you pay to them, the time, the, the situations you put yourself in them. Uh, be careful in that kind of way. I feel like we should respect our single brothers and sisters more especially those who are living the life that God wants from them. We live in a world that at the moment is sex crazy, and for those single people who are choosing to honour God by um, living the way that he wants, I think we should be so much more thankful to them for their example and, uh, and, 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 and bless them. And thank you for doing what you're doing. If you're in a marriage and it's going well, be thankful, but be prepared it may not always because you may meet meet circumstances, even after many years, that change things. Be prepared for the fact that it's going to be hard. If you're in a bad marriage, a tricky marriage, know that you're not alone and know that you can change. Uh, Again, the world says today, oh, if they've done that once, they'll always do it. We don't think that. Christianity is a faith of change. You have to be born again to become a Christian. One of the the most important processes in the Christian life is sanctification, which is a person changing to become more and more like Jesus. You can change within your marriage. So change. If you need to do better, do better. Don't think, well, it's gone on for so long. No, you can change it tomorrow. Now, the tricky thing in marriage is you can never control the other person, but you can control yourself and make sure you're living in a way that's a blessing for the other person and pray that God would use that to change the other. Above all, in all these situations, I pray that we will be humble, we will be quick to repent, we will be thoughtful and gracious, and we will use whatever circumstances we're in for the glory of Jesus. This world has devalued, lowered the bar, cheapened all those three things, and our world is a mess of broken relationships, shattered lives, and guilt because of it. The best way to live is God's way. 
his intention. A raised bar on marriage, a raised bar on divorce, a raised bar on singleness. I pray that God may help us live in the light of this truth. Heavenly Father, we, um, we're before you this morning aware of our own brokenness, aware of our need for your help. Thank you for speaking truth in love to us, and I pray that you may help us put it into effect in our lives. Father, I ask that none of us would be sitting here this morning thinking, well, I, I hope so-and-so is listening to that. They, they really needed to hear that. Please show us where we need to hear it. We, we need to make some changes to live in a way that honours you, which is better for us and sets a great example to the world outside us. And I pray that we would do it for the glory of the one who died for us to make us your children, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.